0: Father, I want to thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've called us. We're not just chosen, but we're called as well. And Father, I thank you that there is an anointing that you have for each one of us. An anointing with great power. An anointing that would uh, release such a power amongst our neighbours and our nation that would transform it. And Father, I pray that we would see, and believe what you have called us to. So, Lord, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I've struggled this week in just preparing for this morning. Two reasons. One, I had my booster jab, and that really stuffed me up. Um, but uh, that's just some best. If you have the booster jab, God bless you. We'll be praying for you. Um, but... Uh, I had AstraZeneca the first time round and Pfizer the second, and Pfizer obviously didn't work too well with my system. But I've just been challenged in terms of, of how we connect with God. You know, it, it is a foregone conclusion that we are living in an age, in a time of history where the miracles of God are very rare. I know you'll hear stuff on the internet here and there, but actually, by and large, in the Western nations, we see very little of it. Uh, Some of you who may have done a bit of a search in history or some of you who may remember the stories that have been told about the Welsh revival and the revivals that we've had, there was phenomenal power at work. Dead people being raised... Uh, I was reading a story. Um, How many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? I've mentioned him so many times that most of you probably have. Smith Wigglesworth lived, was born in the late 1800s and died in the kind of mid-1900s. He was a plumber. He didn't go to school, didn't have an education, could barely read, but God got a hold of him. God baptised him with the Holy Spirit and him and his wife, his wife's name was Polly, um, they saw phenomenal healing at work in people's lives. And I was reading this morning, or was it yesterday morning, I was reading one of the stories where he was asked to come and pray uh, for a woman who was at death's door. And the the parents came, they told him how bad it was, they led him to the door and left him because she was in such a bad state. And him and a friend, they went in, And this woman was literally on her last legs. And they prayed for her and touched her, and then her last breath went. And Smith Wigglesworth's colleague said to him, well, what do we do now? And he lifted up the dead body. He carried it to the wall, and he kind of held it up, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk And he said it again, name of Jesus Christ, walk. And this body started to tremble and shake. And then the woman came back and she started to walk and she was totally healed. And when they asked her what happened, she said, he came into my room and then I was in heaven. I was with the people of God. I was with the angels. They were worshipping. They were praising God. She It was wonderful. I saw Jesus, I saw him there in all of his glory, and then all of a sudden, Jesus pointed at me, and I knew I had to go back. And then I heard a voice saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk, and she says, and then I was back in my body, and I walked. Now, I want to see that. Don't know about you. I want, and I don't want to see it because I want us to get any glory. But I want to see it because I tell you what: there are so many sick people, and the COVID period has just piled on the sick people because they've not been able to get to a doctor. There is so much stuff that is going on, and in the midst of it, God calls us as the people of God. Let me read to you a few scriptures. John 15 and verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, I've lived in this verse, I don't know, at least the past six months. Why have I lived in this verse? Because that statement of Jesus, that apart from him, I can do nothing, gives me great comfort. I do not have power in my hands. I do not have the wherewithal to change people's lives. You know, the complexity of people's lives is so much more than it used to be. Um, In in October, uh, Michelle and I went to a gender fluidity conference. And it was looking at this whole issue of people wanting to change gender and all the things entailed within it. And I sat there and I thought, Lord, I, I can't do this. And into my mind comes this, apart from me, you can do nothing. But here's something that I can do. I can pray for people. I can lead people to Jesus Christ, I can show them how to get right with Jesus, and then I have enough faith to trust that Jesus will sort that out. Somebody walks into the church, or somebody's in the church, and they're saying, I do not know who I am, I'm not comfortable in my gender, and all of this, then my simple thing would be, let me pray with you, let me lead you to Jesus, and he will sort that out, because I don't know what to do. And you know what? We can all do that. We can all lead people to Jesus. The problem is we think we've got to fix it. I think of Elijah. You know, we're told in James that Elijah was a man like us. He was a human being. He was a guy who was full of fear. He was a guy who struggled. And it says he prayed... And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and it rained. And, and I sit there looking at and I think, did Elijah stop the rain? No, he didn't. God did. But he asked God and God did it. He asked God again and God made it rain. We can do that. We can pray. We can say, God, would you do something? And what's even more amazing is that if there is two of us and we agree about something, then God will do it even more. If you live in a home with another believer and you are not claiming the promises of God, if you're not praying over people and saying, well, we speak healing, we speak release, we lift that, then we are missing a whole amount of power that goes out. God has given us the ability to bring the miracles down from heaven by the simple act of believing prayer. In John chapter 6 and verse uh, 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he wasn't talking about physical food and drink. He was talking about the yearning that is going on inside. You know, we have all of these issues, you know, I mentioned about gender fluidity and, you know, there is a massive, massive challenge in sexuality in the Western world. We live in a world where moral values have very little values. They've shifted so much that biblical moral values are now seen as being bad. And yet, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life, and if we come to him, he will heal our hearts. Those questions that people ask, it was really interesting. I was listening to a woman talking about struggles that people have, and she said, the question is about what is my identity? Who am I? And if people are not happy in the gender that they're in, they want to change their gender because maybe that will bring the happiness. Maybe that will help me work out who I am or maybe it's divorce that I need or maybe it's drink that I need or maybe I need to have more money or maybe I need to have more fun or maybe I need to have more friends or maybe I need to have less friends and people are trying to find out who am I? And that question will never ever be answered Unless it is in God. Unless it is with our creator who says, this is why I made you. And all of a sudden we go, I know why I exist. What a depressing thought that my ancestors came out of, uh, what's it, primordial soup or whatever it was. That they crawled out of the the, the swamp and then slowly evolved. You know why that's depressing? Because there's no purpose. But to think, That God knew you before you were formed in the womb. That God crafted you with his hands. That God breathed life into you and says, you know, you exist because I love you and I want to give you blessing in your life so that you can bless those that are around you. If we hunger, if we thirst, we will only find it in Jesus. And I want to say to those of you who are a bit younger... The world has an amazing allure. Wealth and, you know, all the stuff that the world will will say to you that these things will bring you happiness. Let me tell you as a guy who's gone through that, who's now over 50, those things will never ever satisfy you. They will not. I was reading, I don't know why, but a few weeks ago, I was reading about the life of Elvis Presley. What a tragic life. You know, here's a guy, and he wasn't on uh, drugs that today we would talk about. He was on prescribed medical drugs. His doctor, I think, was prescribed something crazy, like he was given 10,000 prescription drugs. And it killed him. Killed him in the end. And you've only to look in the last five years of people who are so popular in the the kind of song world or the fame world who have committed suicide to realise that those things do not bring happiness. It does not. Jesus alone brings satisfaction into our soul. Now, I want to apologise to some of our young people because quite often they don't experience the life and power of God in this building. And that's on us as older people. That's on us as parents. We've said just now, we've said a number of times, we want our kids not to come to church because we say you need to go to church. We want them to come because they know Jesus. They want to serve Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. This is Jesus again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Now, I could stop there and think, wow, what a promise. I I want that. I love that. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And then he makes this promise, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now there's only one catch in all of this. And the catch is this, we need faith. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. What what do we mean by faith? By faith, we simply mean that we take God at his word. That's what we do. We take him at his word. I was reading another story of Smith Wigglesworth, and he went into a house, and there was a young girl there, and she had 37 demons in her, and she had... Four men holding her down. And in the end, she threw them all off. And she came at Smith Wigglesworth and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I tell you to get out. And then he got his coat, went to the door, still all going on and everything. And as he went to the door, she was still manifesting. And the devil said, oh, you need to speak again because it's not happening. He says, no, I don't. And he turned around and said, I've told you get out, and immediately she was set free. Why? Because he applied faith. There is not one miracle in the New Testament that does not require faith. The woman with the issue of blood, she had to touch Jesus. Now, you might think, well, that's really easy. You, let me put it into a modern context. Let's say you've got COVID, yeah, and you know that Jesus is here in this building and you're at home, What risk are you taking in leaving your home, going through a whole crowd when you've got COVID to touch Jesus? That's the risk this woman took. If the Jews had known that she was unclean, they had every right to stone her to death then and there, even before she got there. She had faith. The gate at the the, the place, beautiful, when Peter... And John said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. It wasn't until Peter and John pulled him up that his ankles grow strong. If you listen, look at the grammar in there. His ankles didn't grow strong and then he jumped up. They pulled him and as they pulled him, his ankles grew strong. It's everywhere through. Smith Wigglesworth said to many people who had stomach problems or throat problems, he said, go home and eat something that you can't normally eat. Because it was faith. You need to have faith. And so the big challenge for us this morning is that we need to operate in faith. Now, I want to put something alongside that for a moment. We also need power from on high. And, and I, I really hope I don't offend you, but I do not believe that the majority of the Western church is baptized with the Holy Spirit. You might think I'm really crazy to say this. I am seeking the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We have taught as Assemblies of God churches that baptism with the Holy Spirit is all about tongues. No, it is not. It's all about power. Hallelujah. It's about power. It's about being uh, endued being or receiving power from God that what you do has been power into the lives of other people. That is the test. You may well speak in tongues, and you probably will speak in tongues, but tongues by itself does not demonstrate that we are baptised with the Holy Spirit. It is power. I want to read to you a few things. I read this maybe six or seven years ago, but I want to read to you some of the men and women of God that we know who did amazing things about when they received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I want to read this to you to make you hungry. It's about seeking God. If you read Smith Wigglesworth's biography and D.L. Moody and Charles Parham and Spurgeon and all these guys, they sought the baptism with the Holy Spirit through nights of prayer, through going to wherever they thought it would be. They fasted, they prayed, they cried out to God continually to receive it. And the first disciples did too. Jesus told them, he said, do not leave from here until you've received the gift that my father promised, which is power from on high. And you know what? They went in an upper room and they prayed every day, all day for 10 days. Now they didn't know it was going to be 10 days. Could have been 20 days, could have been 50 days. D.A. Carson He's a scholar, Christian scholar. He makes this statement. The one thing we most urgently need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. We need to know God better. D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, before God got a hold of him, he worked in a shoe shop. That's D.L. Moody. He says this. At the close... Of the service, two women, whom he had frequently noticed in attendance, came forward and said they were praying for him as they felt he needed the power of the Spirit. "'I need the power. Why?' said he in telling of the interview. "'I thought I had the power. I had the largest congregation in Chicago, and there were many conversions. I was, in a sense, satisfied.'" But right along, these two godly women kept praying for me, and their earnest talk about anointing for special service set me to thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me, and they poured out their hearts in prayer that I might receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. There came a great hunger into my soul. I did not know what it was. I began to cry out as I had never done before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. My heart was not in the work of begging. I could not appeal. I was crying out all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back there where I was before that blessed experience. If you were to, if you were to give me all the world, it would be as small as dust in the balance. Charles Caron was another guy who saw amazing anointing and he said, he said this. Brother Charles, looking back over 57 years of ministry, he was asked this question. If you had the opportunity to do it again, what would you change? What would you do differently? He says this. First of all, I would do nothing until I had been filled with the Holy Spirit. I would lock myself in with God and not come out until I was absolutely sure that his anointing and empowering was upon me. As a young pastor, I knew nothing about the baptism and filling with the Holy Spirit. That loss was tragic to me and my congregations. Bob Gordon, he's a guy I worked with in the 90s, sadly passed away in 97. He says this. And yet I can honestly say that there was a moment in my life when those words of Isaiah became absolutely real for me. I entered into some small measure to the encounter with God in his living power of which Isaiah speaks. Even now, years later, and although I have denied it many times by my actions and sins, that experience lives vividly in my heart and mind. In fact, it would not be saying too much to claim that it has become the very foundation of my whole life and work. Smith Wigglesworth The fire fell and burned in me till the Holy Spirit clearly revealed absolute purity before God. A marvellous revelation took place. My body became full of light and the holy presence and in the revelation I saw an empty cross and at the same time the Jesus I loved and adorned crowned in glory and in the reigning position. The glorious remembrance of these moments is beyond my expression to give when I could find uh, no words to express. Then an irresistible power filled me and moved my being till I found to my glorious astonishment, I was speaking in other tongues clearly. After this, a burning love for everybody filled my soul. I am overjoyed in giving my testimony, praying for those that fight this truth, but I am clearly given to understand that I must come out of every unbelieving element. John G. Lake. John G. Lake lived 1870 to 1935. He had 16 siblings, eight died. He says this. My soul was crying out to God in a yearning too deep for words, when suddenly it seemed to me that I had passed under a shower of warm tropical rain, which was not falling upon me, but through me. My spirit and soul and body under this influence was soothed in such a deep and still calm as I had never known. My brain, which has always been so active, became perfectly still. And all of the presence of God settled over me. I knew it was God." Then currents of power began to rush through my being, from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. The shots of power increased in rapidity and voltage. All these currents of power would pass through me. They seemed to come upon my head, rush through my body and through my feet into the floor. The power was so great that my body began to vibrate intensely so that I believe, had I not been sitting in such a deep low chair, I might have fallen on the floor." Let me talk about Evan Roberts. We know him. He was in this area for some time. 1878 to 1951, he was a coal miner, part of the Welsh Revival. At a certain morning meeting which Evan Roberts attended, the evangelist, in one of his petitions, besought that the Lord would bend us. The spirit seemed to say to Roberts, that's what you need to be bent by God. And thus he describes his experience. I felt a living force coming out of my chest. This grew and grew and I was almost bursting. My chest was boiling. What boiled in me was the verse, God commending his love. I fell on my knees and with my arms over the seat in front of me, the tears and perspiration flowed freely. I thought blood was gushing forth. Certain friends approached to wipe his face; meanwhile he was crying out, "O oh Lord, bend me, bend me!" and then suddenly the glory broke. Mr. Robert adds. After I was bent by God, a wave of peace came over me and the audience sang, I hear thy welcome voice. And as they sang, I thought about the bending at the judgment day and I was filled with compassion for those that would have to bend on that day and I wept. I could go on, but I want you to catch That God has something for us that we have hitherto not experienced. There is something that is missing in our experience. And it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of God. And I don't want to argue about the theology of it. I just want the power of it. I want God to baptize us with his Spirit. And so my task this morning is nothing except to make you hungry to make you hungry for God. How much more? How much more can we do with a baptism with the Holy Spirit? How much more when we apply our faith, when we give our lives to God? How much more? Acts 1, 4 to 5. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why, why am I saying this? Why do we need this? William Booth, the leader and founder of the Salvation Army made this statement. The principal danger of the 20th century will be a religion without the Holy Spirit Christians without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and a heaven without hell. Can I say we are there? As a nation, we are there. We need God to work within us. I'm going to finish with one quote from Bob Gordon. Because he kind of spoke about how does this happen. He says this. God causes divine dissatisfaction in our hearts. I believe that is how God starts. We don't seek God just from cold. It is not in us just to turn to God and seek him with all our hearts. There is a stirring within us by the Holy Spirit. Very often we don't recognize it as the hand of God, but God begins to work by many different means to rouse us from our contentment with the things as they are. It is impossible to say how God will move in your life. I know how he worked in mine, but I can't say how he will work in yours. I, he knows you and he knows the way to you. He has, I believe, more ways of dealing with people than there are people to be dealt with, but move, he will. I believe COVID, I believe all that's gone on is God stirring us. It's God making us dissatisfied with the way things are. And I really hope you hear my heart in this. It's not any berating of us as a church or of us as a believer. It is about saying there is more. There is more. Jesus wants to give you more. He wants to fill you with power. He wants you to experience his life, him in such a way that you're not saying maybe I've got it you're saying I am filled with the power of God and that's my prayer this morning maybe we could stand if you're able I just want us to pray together for a moment maybe we can agree together and all I'm going to do is pray that God would work in us that he would make us so hungry that we would spend our hours seeking him, that we would set aside the distractions and the entertainment and the other things, that we would be filled with a hunger that we know only Christ can fill. And so, Father, we come this morning. We thank you that you are a good God and you give good gifts to your people. And, Father, it says that if we ask you for the Holy Spirit, how much more you will do that. And so this morning, we ask you to baptise us with your Holy Spirit. We ask that in whatever way it needs to happen, that you would make us hungry, that you would make us hungry for more of you, that we would push in and press in and seek you. We ask as well for a gift of faith, that Father, as we talk with our work colleagues, with our neighbours, and they speak about need, that our heart would be stirred to say, hey, can I pray for you? Can I tell you about Jesus? He can help you. And so Father, I come this morning and I pray for your church today. Baptise us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let us know the power from on high that you promised Jesus. I pray that for each one. I pray that from our children to those of us that are, are pensioners. I pray for each one that we would know the amazing power of God. And so, Lord, we commend ourselves and commit ourselves to you. We ask that you would turn us into a mighty army. And there's that scripture in Ezekiel can these dry bones live? And Lord, we say with a resounding shout, yes, it can. Yes, we can live. We can be filled with power and be that mighty army that changes West Brom and that changes Sandwell and that changes those around us. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Equip us and empower us in that precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.